Hey folks, before this episode starts, I want to give another shout out to Take Back, our republic. Take Back is a great organization that I've talked about before on the show. Uh, their goal is to bring integrity and transparency back to our elections. And uh, they do this on belief that individual participation in the American political system is the best way to preserve and strengthen our liberty. I agree with that. And uh, some of the issues that they are trying to really follow and uh, try and put forward solutions and uh, ideas such as instant runoff, uh, getting rid of dark money in our politics, ending gerrymandering, uh, reforming our campaign finance, and foreign contributions in our political system altogether. Um, trying to end those really would be would be really kind of the main goal. But uh, folks, these are the type of solutions that you need to be supporting if we want to solve some of the problems that I often reference in the show uh, when it comes to you know fixing some of the political issues and the economic issues that uh, surround the, the way our nation works and the way our politics works. Uh, the way we can better that is through solutions like the ones that Take Back puts forward. So be sure to go check them out. That's uh, takeback.org is the uh, website for their uh, more information if you'd like to learn more about what they do. So go check them out. What's going on, folks? It's another episode of CC's Word. It's um, a nice afternoon here in South Carolina. I'm uh, glad to have the opportunity to talk with you folks once again. Another episode. But this week I want to talk about primarily just uh, the Biden administration put forward a uh, infrastructure package that uh, it's something that I've discussed a lot on the show is the need to improve our infrastructure. Last year, I believe the uh, Society of Civil Engineers gave our uh, our national infrastructure a D plus or D minus rating. Now it's a C minus rating, the most recent rating from the same organization, very credible one when it comes to ranking national infrastructures, government um, controlled infrastructures and we also have seen a proposal from the Biden administration for many of the infrastructure um, plans that they have to be put forward in an American jobs pro- plan um, and so this is what we've talked about I mean, I've talked about before that uh, we need to have a jobs program to uh, improve the nation's infrastructure. I mean, that's a tremendous opportunity there to grow our economy uh, and, and really, I would say, grow the spending potential, the economic potential and opportunities for so many people. Because the goal, the, the thought process I have is you have a project that you could bring people on for a temporary job until that project is done. But the training and the knowledge that they may gain, the skills they may gain uh, from the process of building that project, that government project, will be a lifetime of, you know, potential in the market and potential to really be able to contribute, um, you know, in future job opportunities and, and it opens up more opportunities for, for those individuals and puts forward more skills and more education that would be needed for middle class and low income folks to really have an opportunity to advance uh, economically. Um, With that said, 
let's look at what the Biden administration has put forward. They uh, proposed the idea of spending $650 billion uh, infrastructure at home. So that is trying to assure we have clean drinking water everywhere, assuring we have high-speed broadband everywhere, electrical infrastructure. I believe that's improving our electrical grid, uh, affordable and sustainable housing. So that would be trying to improve some of the, uh, you know, government provided housing and the uh, improve the sustainability of them hopefully improve the quality of them as well uh you're going to be seeing investments in public schools and early learning centers and community colleges and uh in transportation we have high, high highways bridges and roads public transportation passenger and freight well rail unfortunately no high speed rail yet I'm hoping American can hop on the freaking bandwagon and catch up to modern times with the rest of the world on that. But uh, electric vehicles, there's a $174 billion apparently allocation for that. I don't know what that means. And I don't know if I don't know if that means that you're going to get paid uh, X amount of money probably for purchasing a electric vehicle perhaps they do a stimulus that way I mean, that'd be a nice idea you can encourage people to get one you say um very low interest rates for loans you could do uh, i mean insane maybe tax returns uh in the sense of tax incentives for people to go to electric vehicles i'm supportive of that i, I personally like a, a range of vehicles i don't i don't have any judgment for anyone that uh, doesn't drive electric i think that uh you know, if you, I think everyone should be allowed to drive really what they want to drive because I think ultimately that's let's not try to pretend as though, you know, the individual, and of course I understand that like everyone driving, you know, the the large quantity of emissions that we have from cars is what can you know, contribute to global warming, but on a bigger picture scale, like. It is corporate interest and you know national interest, or, or sometimes that uh, you know industrial interests that don't really uh, want to change their ways, and those are the really main contributors to global warming and climate change. But they don't want to talk about that, and so that's where it's like if until we're ready to have an honest kind of discussion about that and uh, honest policy put forward to demand that they actually start to change the way that they, uh, like, you know, we put forward better regulations to assure that our environment is taken, taken care of. Until that's happened, the idea that we're going to try and shame people who drive gas-powered cars or try and, I guess, make it as though you have to get a gas car or it will be perhaps some type of regressive tax on you you know but i don't know if that'll be something we see in the biden administration but i could very well see that happening probably in my lifetime where they say uh hey if you drive a the majority of people have electric cars now so if you drive a gas car even if you really can't afford a uh, electric car we're probably still going to tax you uh you know I guess extra because you're you're using gas, uh, and and that's where I think a gas tax and all that may end up coming in later down the road. They uh, hinted at that idea to pay for some of these transportation products, 
and uh, they immediately saw the reaction from the public about that. And when I say they, I mean uh, Pete Buttigieg came out and said something about there may be a gas tax in consideration to raise money to fund the Biden infrastructure plan. And immediately the backlash from people that uh, it's rightful. I mean, look, a gas tax would be something that would affect working people the most because there's so many working class people uh, that don't that they work in a big city, but they cannot afford to live there. So they may live in a suburb that's 30, 45 minutes or more out from where they work. So that is a commute. That's a daily drive, a daily 30 to 40 minute back and forth drive. So. You're looking at maybe an hour, uh, over you know, for some people, an hour to up to you know three or four hours in a car every day. Um, that is a lot of gas as well, and the idea that we're going to charge, uh, we're, you know, it goes back to exactly what I just said. Like the idea that we're going to charge working class people uh, for using a what is a necessity for them. Uh, in an effort to curb climate change or to the effects of, uh, you know, emissions and you know, car emissions, as though, again, the main contributors to that are major corporate fig- figures and industrial figures, and their regulations are too lax to really take action on that. And until that's fixed, the idea that we're going to try to punish the individual worker is uh, is crazy. It's so... Uh, I'm glad that they had a backlash on that. I'm glad that that's something that's not going to be really in consideration. And I think Pete Buttigieg came back a few days later and said that they're going to be doing something different. A gas tax is not on the table. Uh, but continuing with the infrastructure plan, there's uh, airports, water, transit, and ports, $42 billion. Transport inequities, $45 billion. Infrastructure resilience, $50 billion. And uh, there's other for $30 billion. And in research and development, Workforce development and manufacturing research and development is uh, $180 billion. I think that's just kind of a general research and development, uh, probably different research institutions and uh, universities around the, the nation. Uh, manufacturing small businesses, I'm not sure what that means. Perhaps that's tax cuts. Tax incentives going to be, uh, again, some type of stimulus maybe to try and, and uh, encourage people to open up businesses and to uh, try and um, you know encourage people to make things and actually manufacture, uh, have a business that's based on manufacturing, actually creating a product and not just, you know, maybe financialization or something like that. Um, and then there's workforce development, $100 billion. I think that's something of long lines of, uh, you know, work programs that will be involved in this to, um, to really help people gain skills and knowledge about what they will be doing and uh, to, to build up these government projects. And, uh, last but not least, like I guess it's $400 billion for caretaking economy, home and community-based care for elderly and disabled people. That's something that you have a large inequity and around poor people who are disabled um, and facing challenges that may need help or elderly that are uh, facing economic challenges. Often they need help that they can't afford. And so there's some government programs that would be much needed to put forward to help them out. Now, with all that said, folks, there's a two trillion dollar total package that we see here. Now, overall, the package isn't the worst. Um, 
but it's significantly lower, folks, than what we need to really be aiming for. We want to have a transformative type of of shift in the way uh, the way the trajectory for a lot of people's economic outlook is going in this country. And I say that because I believe Bernie Sanders' original plan was about sixteen billion dollars when he proposed an infrastructure plan. Of course, that has a lot of elements of the Green New Deal in it. Um, and with that, I feel that there's always uh, there's always specifics we have to get into and like what like I, I never understood the full details of everybody's infrastructure plan uh, in, the, in the 2020 campaign. So when I look at Bernie's, I say, okay, that's the high end, right? And then the low end is what we got $2 billion from Biden. Even though during the campaign, Biden said $7 billion would be the total of his uh, infrastructure plan, would be the estimated cost. And then Joe Manchin, who is a senator from West Virginia, he is a Democrat, but he is what they call a conservative Democrat, who is more to the right than most of the Democrats who are in the Senate, uh, supposedly. Um, and so... He is someone who they feel would be opposed to a large spending package for infrastructure because he's such a conservative uh, in the way he votes on bills. But it turns out, folks, he even floated the idea of a $4 trillion package. So Biden is, again, coming to the table, starting out at a position where he's compromised already his position down to like a bland you know milk toast version of what it could be um i'm not saying again that those are, those areas i just laid out what, what they want to spend on aren't significant but i mean folks i always go to the fact that it's like look we spend like two billion dollars a day on the military according to uh, the department of defense the uh, Friends Committee on National Legislation uh, Organization has that on their website, but it it's sourced from the Department of Defense. $2 billion as of September of 2020, which was the uh, the end of the Trump administration's budget for that. We'll see what the Biden administration's budget is going to be. I imagine that there still will be uh, a pretty high number for that defense budget. But we bring in that and we don't talk about the fact that not even, I mean, a fraction of what we spend on, on the military um, would go a long way when it comes to uh, significantly improving the way we see our infrastructure, the way we see our social safety net. These are things that you know need to be expanded and need to be really repaired and rebuilt and uh, built up even in places where they don't exist or in areas that they lack completely. Um, with that said, this package is going to pass, folks, probably lower with less than what, we, what we've what we already we see now. I think that, again, like I said, the Biden administration is coming in. And we've seen this happen, folks, where, like, it happened with the... Happened with the COVID relief package. 
uh, where Biden comes in and says, hey, we're going to, you know, try and do $2,000 checks, right? And we're going to do a, I believe it was a $800 unemployment benefit plus up. And um, that was the beginning promises along with significant other spending promises for the American people. And then we ended up getting just $1,400, a $300 unemployment benefit, um, and, you know, again, significant benefits for families and for some working class uh, families and households. But long term, like, there are effects that people are still going to have. There's a uh, a rent moratorium that just was extended, but there's still, like, People will have to pay that rent that they've maybe, let's say you weren't able to pay your rent since July of 2020, all of that rent from July of 2020 to uh, when the, the rent moratorium ends um, and, and the most recent COVID relief package, unless they extend it, you're going to have to pay all that money back for from most, you know, landlords or uh, people that own properties will, will probably like their payments uh, either all at once hopefully not all at once but you know you could put up a, a payment plan but still it, it is a difficult hurdle that it's still going to have to be addressed and i'm not saying that like a lot of people try to be to try to say like well this is just for now so we can't really talk about too far down but when you see how difficult it was to pass even the basic things for temporary relief you wonder like what what is the mindset of let's not go for bold agendas let's not go for long-term fixes now when we know it's going to be tough either way and then compromise our way down like they have now with this infrastructure deal coming in with two trillion dollars two trillion less than where one of the most conservative democrat senators came and said uh, he would like a proposal for infrastructure spending at $4 trillion. And the Biden administration comes at an angle where it's like they don't want to go for anything transformative when they have the opportunity and they'll make up excuses. And it seems as though find more ways or reasons to not do something great for the people, not make a transformative move or, 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 uh, policy agenda accomplishment uh, and one has to wonder like you know why do they do this I like to be honest with you folks and just you know keep it real there's a lot of money to interest there's a lot of uh, corporate backers there's a lot of big donors that are behind people's campaigns uh, both the presidents and many senators and kind of people in congress and they don't want to see a, or a real shift in the status quo, folks. And, like, that's the reality of, of what so much of what our politics is. And I always harp on that because it's, uh, I don't want to say I harp on that, but I just, I you know, I always keep, keep it real with you folks. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat things in the sense of saying, like, these people are working in good faith and this is their proposal. No, these people are working in bad faith, 100%. They're working in the interest of, you know, those that uh, that help them the most, not uh, necessarily those that they represent. 
which is the American people, we the people. And uh, this is why things that are majority popular, the American people, folks, have uh, popularized large spending on infrastructure for many years has been like a 70 plus percent issue in this country. Large spending on reforming our uh, our healthcare system. I mean, those are those are things that always have high ratings when it comes to polling. And there's also things like the minimum wage increase, where you know, again, I bring up how the Democrats came in, said we're gonna get fifteen dollar minimum wage, end up just not really fighting for it because the parliamentarians say you can't put it in budget reconciliation, which is the process they went through to get a 50-vote majority or a 51-vote majority vote instead of a 60-majority vote, which is what uh, regular order would have been. Um, But, you know, it's all about this process for the politicians. They use that, and I think it's an excuse and as a reason to not do something, because here's the reality, folks. The parliamentarian told the Democrats they couldn't put $15 minimum wage in the COVID relief package. So they scratched the, um, they yeah they they just scratched the, fifteen dollar minimum wage from the uh, the proposal. So we look on the other side when the Republicans wanted to pass something. I believe it was in twenty seventeen, when they wanted to pass the tax cuts that Trump put forward in his budget. The parliamentarians said they couldn't do it through reconciliation. They fired the dude and got a new one in. And, uh, that person said they can do it, and they did it. And a lot of people want to have this attitude of like, well, we shouldn't take the tactics of the opposition because we don't want to, you know, look uh, like we de- destroy the process and all the rules of Congress and all that. The American people could give two craps about that. Though. I really do think that's the case, though. I really do think that the majority of American people don't look at a situation like a $15 minimum wage increase and say, oh, no, we shouldn't do this because the parliamentarian says we can't. I guarantee you there's not one American that will make that argument. Even if they're against putting forward a $15 minimum wage, they will make an argument better than that. You know? And so, folks, it it just shows you that there are things that they that a lot of politicians really want to fight for. And there are things that a lot of politicians want to... Uh, put up excuses to avoid doing and I think we're living in a time where our politics has become so broken because you have the American people divided along things like um, you know cultural issues and I mean now you have you know the, the, the everyday conflicts you'll see in America it's like whether or not to wear a mask in public because of COVID um, you know whether or not you should have gatherings, you know, a lot of COVID-related type of culture war issues. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that go on where the American people are divided on kind of like us versus them terms. And it isn't a understanding that like so much of that is a distraction from issues like the fact that our politicians will agree to go to war nonstop, will agree to give tax cuts to the rich nonstop, will agree to give uh, or to deregulate Wall Street and to deregulate major corporations. And 
you know, all, all these things are bipartisan agendas constantly, but when it comes to putting forward uh, policies that will really substantively improve the lives of the middle class and low-income Americans in this country, we don't really see that much of a push in uh, the halls of power for that. And the people that we do see to do that is... Um, like I, I, we have the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. You have people like AOC. You have people like Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Cory Bush, Jamal Bowen, and uh, I disagree with their strategy of how to get things done. They, I think, believe in trying to, or at least AOC and many of of people that are in the House has have this attitude of like. We're going to try to work within the system to get things done, but the system is set up to have them fail often. And I don't think they really kind of like go in with that understanding in every scenario like they probably should. And with that, it takes going outside the system, using the power of the people. Yes, tweeting things like, you know, it's a shame that my colleague, even in my party, isn't working with me to pass this agenda that would help the American people. That's overwhelmingly popular, according to polls. Yes, it's a shame that uh, at Speaker Pelosi won't put forward a vote for Medicare for All. You know, I mean, get real and put the pressure on folks because that is how you got there. It is the power of the American people and the will of you know, grassroots organizing that uh, the the power of that really is what shifted so many progressives into ha- pi- powerful positions and in, in houses uh, or in, in, in yeah in, in houses of Congress. And so, you know, you wonder where do we go from here? And and I think that I always say that because I don't want to uh, just kind of be doom and gloom in every podcast, folks. I mean. I believe there are substantive efforts like some of the progressives in Congress. Again, I don't agree with their policy uh, or I don't agree with their approaches to trying to get their policy poured. I agree with a lot of their policy proposals, but they aren't going about it in the most strategically smart way, I don't think. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm just a kid who is from uh, the South that uh, follows politics as a hobby, but I do think that the idea that you can work behind the scenes with people who are professionals at working behind the scenes to do their things and to do screw the American people is insane. And to not use the public platform you have, I think uh, AOC is like one of the most followed politicians, um, especially like one of the most followed members of Congress. And so on Twitter, that's, uh, I mean, people want to say like Twitter doesn't matter. Twitter does matter. And like this year and the past few months has really shown that like, like a lot of social media matters because I mean, you see how social media circles and the things that people say on there can lead into the real world. But you also see things like how Amazon is going after politicians and trying to basically refute a lot of the claims and a lot of the truth that is the harsh working conditions of 
Amazon facilities. Um, you know, people having to pee in bottles, people having to crap in bags, people having to uh, do this even while they're driving, uh, people having to have 30-minute work uh, like breaks or lunch breaks, and you would have 10 minutes to get from your workstation to your break place, maybe 10 minutes to eat and then 10 minutes to get back. One minute, I believe it's one minute, I don't know if it's one second, maybe it's just one minute, but they said one minute above the 30 minutes that you have off, and they will take an entire hour off of your paycheck. That's crazy, man. And, like, that's the reality of how Amazon operates. And, you know, there's a show I watch called uh, Rising on the Hills YouTube channel. It's a great new source folks i really encourage you to listen to them uh, but sagar and yeti is one of the hosts of that show he makes a good point about how you know it's a shame how amazon is so harsh but they have so much money the uh, wealth of that company and the the value of that co- corporation grew so much over the past year they really could set a new standard in corporate, um, just a new corporate standard in, in the way they treat their employees. They have the funding, they have the money to give, you know, amazing benefits. I mean, really, you know, transform, really, really do what Republicans always say will happen if the government stays out of businesses and that the market will force them to actually be uh, more beneficial to the American worker, you could actually set that standard. You can actually be that corporation and be that big transfer. I, I think that like Amazon, I really do believe has this desire to be loved and to be, you know, something that is a part of everyone's lives, even if they, you know, even though they already really are, whether we want to them to or not, but they, every, they want everyone to want them to be a part of their life, right? If that's the case, why not do everything you can to be like, hey, Amazon is one of the best places to work in America. It's because I think we we do have a system where it's set up to prioritize um, an overwhelming focus on financialization and, and the growth of, you know, share value rather than trying to actually like put forward a vision and a mission uh, that a corporation should be and sticking to that and not just being forced down this road of like this financialization road of like you know once you go to wall street it's like boom whatever wall street wants whatever they you know need or whatever is best for wall street is what will happen in a corporation just like what what happens in our government, right? Like our government is set up kind of like a bad corporation. And the question becomes, at what point will the leadership of either the corporate side of America or the government side of America uh, really stand up and and make us and you know tra- transformative steps to really improve the American people's lives? We got $2 trillion from the Biden administration to try and do this through infrastructure, folks. And uh, I'm glad to 
I'm glad to see that there's something there. I mean, Trump talked about it for like four years and never really put forward a substantive plan. So this is better than nothing. Um, but it's also tremendously lacking what will be needed to transform some of the long-term issues that uh, this country faces and the American people face. But with that said, continue to do your own research, folks. Continue to really try and get informed through independent media and not uh, through mainstream news. And try and form your own opinion on this political stuff. And, uh, you know, I always encourage you to do that because that is the first step informing the populace, having people in our nation that understand the way our politics works and the issues and the flaws of our politics is the way that we can really start to go to the ballot box and start to put forward people and, uh, and policies and promote policies and vote for policies and people that will really be transformative, really do what we need to do to uh, improve this country. And uh, Biden, $2 trillion, man. You need to do a lot more, man. And I don't think he is. Uh, and I think that we're going to end up probably getting much less, honestly. But I uh, I want to have to just say, we'll wait and see. I'm never satisfied, folks. Because government should never be uh, complacent. It should always be working toward improving the lives of the American people. It should be proactive in changing the realities for the populace, for the people of a country, for the civilians, for the citizens. These are the ways that we can really transform lives. And uh, you have to uh, you have to look at policies like the infrastructure package like I just did today and look at it critically. I mean, it's great that we put $2 trillion, like I said. There's a lot of meaningful investment that's going to take place under this plan. But there's so much more that could be done and we have the potential to do it. We spend we spend so much on uh, on other things. We have tax cuts to the rich that cost us massively and in, in the potential for government spending. Um, but there's nothing said about that and only a ruckus about spending or about the deficit or about the way we uh, operate this economy is uh, is only an uproar when there is a benefit for the middle class and low income Americans. That is uh, the only time we see a real uproar about, you know, spending too much. But folks, I think we can. I think we can do better. We'll see if we get better, but I'm glad that you joined me for this episode. We're going to do kind of a quick one today, and uh, if things go well, folks, you'll hear from me next week. If things continue to go well. If uh, if I get too busy, I may not be able to do an episode, but I'll always keep you updated on my social media pages. Be sure to follow me on all those, and uh, they'll be in the description. My Instagram being... Uh, at cc underscore 1823 and twitter being at calvin cullen c-a-l-b-i-n c-u-l-l-e-n 18 number 18 so at calvin cullen 18 have a good one folks
And I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, folks. At the end of this episode, I just want to give a shout out real quick to the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival. Great organization that you can learn more about at the poorpeoplescampaign.org. Go visit the poorpeoplescampaign.org. Uh, the reason why I always like to shout them out is because they really push our leaders to try and make policies that will improve the lives of the American people. I'm going to go back uh, into this on another episode in the future, but there's a 14 policy priority agenda, uh, a 14 policy priorities to heal the nation, a moral and economic agenda for the first 100 days. We are on day 76 of the Biden administration, folks. And so there's about a month left until we hit 100 days and uh, the Poor People's Campaign agenda, there's many areas that have not been touched by the Biden administration. There needs to be a uh, significant uh, shift in the way the policy agenda is being put forward in the Biden White House. And uh, the Poor People's Campaign really has put forward a challenge. Uh, 14 policy priorities to heal the nation. Those are major. I'm going to go through those again in a future episode. But if you want to see them for yourself, the link will be in the description of the episode. Be sure to go visit the poorpeoplescampaign.org. And again, description of the episode, there'll be more information about this.